0: Father in Heaven thank you, God for your mercies and grace for that amazing love that has been displayed and and shown uh, and given for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask Lord God that you would be with us this day this morning as we we gather together as your people uh, to lift up our voices and praise to you and to give thanksgiving to you uh, for that great mercy that has been shown in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can call you our Heavenly Father because of Jesus' work on the cross of Calvary. We pray, Lord God, and ask that as we open your word this morning that you would uh, give illumination of that truth through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be pleased uh, for and for your spirit to speak that word uh, through me that is necessary and needful for each heart as we gather to feed upon your word and desire the sincere milk of your word. We pray that it would uh, be effective in ordering our steps in accordance with your word and that we might uh, see the benefit of it as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we make our pilgrimage and journey uh, through your calling and plan and purpose for us in this this life. Lord God, we pray that Jesus Christ would be honored this morning and that you would open our understanding to hear the things out of Romans chapter 3. And we lift these things to you in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, thanks for being with us. We're delighted that uh, we have uh, people in the congregation today, and and I, I know many people at home. And uh, Lyle was sharing with us that uh, the Jacobs are are listening, have been listening online, and it's a blessing to be able to uh, project the ministry of the word uh, to where are they at Lyle, Illinois. Yeah, second. Sycamore, Illinois. Uh, yes, and uh, from some folks from overseas have been listing in, and next door our neighbors and uh, and uh, Mexico, I believe, and so that's a, a tremendous blessing to us. <clears throat> I want to encourage you this afternoon at at three. We have Beyond the Pulpit, and so there may be some things here that you would like to discuss and talk about, and uh, a time of prayer if you have been memorizing scripture, you'll have opportunity to to share that uh, with us during that time on Zoom. So um, uh, we'll be sending out that invitation to you to join us at three. Well, let's look at God's word this morning. I want to to read our passage. And uh, if we could, I would go back to verse 19 of chapter 3. And read through 26. Our passage this morning is 21 through 26. So, But I'd like to begin with 19 because we're picking up there and um, what is said in these verses is directly tied to this conclusion that Paul draws to. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's our sinful nature uh, that we, we try to hide our unrighteousness just as Adam uh, and Eve put on the fig leaves. Uh, there's a, a hiding that we do, and we hide that and harbor those, those things that are offensive to God in our hearts. Um, so well, let's pick up with verse 19 here and, and look at what God has to say about the law and about our works and about the salvation which comes through faith. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be shut or closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And let's take a look at this wonderful passage of scripture. I can tell you that I've uh, been, I couldn't wait to get to chapter 3 and to this, this place because this is the pivotal place where Paul, you know, if we go back to chapter 1 and verses 16 there, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's where after this long period of time where he speaks about the wrath of God and God's judgment, righteous and just judgment over sin, that when we get to chapter 3 here and he begins to to pivot off of that, that understanding that man is helplessly and hopelessly lost and apart from the work that Jesus Christ did and this power of God's salvation, in it the power of God is manifested. And this is like, breaking forth to give the power of the manifestation of God's salvation for mankind. It's hugely significant passage. And Paul just beautifully unfolds it. First, with the bad news that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of our sin is death and there was no way to attain to this place or position with God and to to be brought back into the family of God to be to know the fullness of what it was when God made man in his own image, uh, because of sin, there was this indomitable, impenetrable barrier between God and man, but Jesus Christ was the answer for the removal of that barrier. Jesus Christ and his selfless and sacrificial work on the Christ. Cross of Calvary is the power of God unto salvation. I want to just kind of walk through the passage with you uh, to help you, because I didn't do such a good job. Usually, my my outline is very. Uh, I try to make it as as close to to actually what the passage is saying as possible. Um, but the outline is is not that great this morning, so I may ask you to make a couple of little changes here and there. Uh, with, with what is said. But notice there that it's now apart from the law of the righteousness of God. This theme, the righteousness of God, is being presented from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, and it's contrasted against, you know, with His justice over the sinfulness of man. But here, the righteousness of God is, has been manifested, and that's the title of the sermon this morning, God's Righteousness Revealed. Okay, this tells a story from God's viewpoint, from God's perspective. It tells a story of God's plan for the redemption of mankind, for the redemption of fallen, helpless, lost, sinful mankind. God's plan for salvation. God's righteousness is revealed. The righteousness has been manifested in, a, in verses 21 and 22 it's manifested through faith the idea or the principle there is the righteousness of god has been manifested through faith notice in 21 it contrasts the law and in 22 it contrasts that the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ and then when we come to verses 23 and 24 it goes back to the sinfulness of man that theme and that losses all have sin and fallen short of the glory of god Okay, that's the foundation. That's the first principle that has to be understood. And so, if we're going to, we're going to effectively present the gospel, we might need to pray and ask that God would manifest the sinfulness of mankind, the barrier that stands between them and God. Because until they understand that, until the Holy Spirit—you know—the the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to convict of, of of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. So in the Gospel, it is absolutely essential that the bad news is given. That there is a barrier between you and the God that created you, and there's no way to reach that relationship with God or to restore that relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And so in verse 24, it says that the sinner is being justified by a gift that God has given through faith, uh, by His grace. Okay, so we got uh, by by faith and by grace, and then in verses 25 and 26 we have the demonstration um, of God. Uh, This demonstration of His righteousness, and there's two points of this demonstration. Notice that it says this was to demonstrate the righteousness. God displayed publicly as a propitiation to demonstrate his righteousness in, in 25 and then again in 26 to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. Okay, so we're going to look at those in more detail, but that's basically the breakdown, and it is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That's our gospel, that's the power of God unto salvation. And it's God's righteousness revealed through these principles, these truths in His Word. So let's look then at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It has been manifested. And uh, verses 3 uh, 21 and 22, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Been manifested through the law, but how else was it manifested uh, in Romans chapter one and chapter two? Was through his creation, right? Through general revelation. All mankind uh, has a, an innate consciousness of God, a knowledge of their creator, and a knowledge of the fact that, that God has uh, um, that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what was created so this law this general law and truth is in the hearts of all mankind, in the Gentiles, in the Greeks, but in the in the Jews, the law was given a revelation of the righteousness of God was given through the law, and so the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But notice what it says here. It's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But let's let's take a look, because I want to go back to verses uh, 19. The righteousness of God has been manifested, and here's the point, without personal merit, without doing the law, without uh, affecting those things that we know innately about God through the general revelation that God has given us through the creation his invisible attributes, divine nature, and and those uh, and such things, um, without any personal merit on our part, the righteousness of God has been manifested to us. So we make the point that it is without personal merit. It's not the works that we do. There's nothing that we could do to, to reach the glory and the power and the grace uh, of, of the position of where God is in His holiness. So um, And so we find then in um, verses 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I would make the point that the law convicts of sin. The law convicts of sin. Going back to verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Uh, notice what it says here. What is the purpose of the law? It's giving us its its the function of the law. It it was given under the law to every every mouth, every defense against the the judgment of God is shut. There's no one that will be able to stand and say, God, I know that I did these things wrong, but look at all of these good things that I did. And they could open their mouth in defense for themselves at the judgment seat before God. So what's going to happen when when you die? Uh, Will you, uh, do you think that that you can go before God and say, um, well, you know, I know I did these wrong things, but God, look, I did these good things. And we kind of compare ourselves with other people. Uh, But God, and Paul is saying here that we can't compare ourselves with other people. We can't defend ourselves, uh, so our mouths are closed. There's no defense before God in regard to saying, uh, suppose you were to die today. And you were to stand uh, before uh, God and, and, and give a defense for yourself. Why should God allow you and permit you to be in a holy place in heaven with Him? And you might try to make some argument, but your mouth would be closed because of the law. The law closes our mouths. It shuts our mouths. And all the world will become accountable to God. The law was given so that man would become accountable to their Creator. That's the purpose. And so the deeds of the law cannot justify. It cannot justify us of our guilt. The deeds, and Working the deeds of the law doesn't uh, present us to God. So, So many people say, well, I'm going to clean up my life and go back to church. It's all wrong. The idea is that we come as you are just as I am without one plea, Uh, but but that thy blood was uh, given for me. The deeds of the law can't justify you. You can't make yourself presentable enough to God to come to God, to then come to God, or then go back to church. The thing is that you must come as a broken, and uh, the Scripture says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So the deeds of the law, the deeds of any works that you may do in regard to what you know about God's holiness can't get you to that place. It can't bring you back into a relationship with God. You will always be guilty under these, these things and these failures. Romans 20 says, because the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law is used by the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. Sin and man's failure of the righteousness of God and the standard of His holiness and the failure uh, that, that comes with man not being able to open his mouth in any kind of defense for, before God and, and before that accountability before our God and Creator. So does, that should make sense. The law brings knowledge of sin. The law brings knowledge of sin. Okay, so, and that brings us to, uh, okay, the, uh, the last part of that verse, being witnessed by the law and prophets. Okay, so what does the law and the prophets, what does the Old Testament uh, what is is it saying what is paul saying that the law and the prophets do at this point it testifies to the righteousness of god it testifies to his holiness so when we fall short of the glory of god when we when we come short of his standard and we see what His standard is through the law and through the prophets and through the things that took place in the Old Testament, we come to understand that that the prophets and the law, it was given to to show the, the holy standard of who God is. So it's good in that sense. The law is good for us. In regard to the conviction of sin and the acknowledgement, it is not good for us in regard to providing the righteousness, the justification before a holy God, and the righteousness that is needed to live up to the standard of who God is. Okay, So I hope that you see that, because it's clearly taught in this passage. And it has to do with what we teach and what we mean by your, your salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone not through the works of men. So, the righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. Okay, so what's being said in this verse? Okay, so... But now, apart from the law back in 21, God, the, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed through the law and the prophets, even the righteousness which comes through faith. And that's the point. The righteousness of God can only come to you through faith. It can only come to the person that in brokenness and contriteness of heart comes before God. Realizing the great love that Jesus Christ shed, and in the shedding of His blood on the cross of Calvary to take your place. And so it comes through faith or trusting in Christ alone. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So if we look at this passage carefully in your notes there, through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God comes through faith. If we go back to chapter 1 and look at those verses there, where the the main theme of the book is, it says for the the wrath of God, or I'm sorry, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. So Paul is picking up with this Uh, theme this major theme (coughs) that he's making and he's developed this by first going in verse 18 of chapter 1 to the uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men okay so faith in Jesus means that that wrath of God that was revealed to all the unrighteousness of, of men was directed to who? To who on your behalf? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. He bore your wrath. He bore that wrath that was given for you. And God, <clears throat> through, through not through harshness of judgment, as we've read about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 here, in regard to man's sin, but in a, in a tremendous expression, an unbelievable, inexpressible, expression of of His love for you and personalize the work of Jesus Christ and what it means to put faith in what He did on the cross of Calvary for you. Take the worst sins that you have committed and know that God knew them. He understood that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you personally. And Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin, for whatever it is that stands between you and your relationship with God. He paid the ultimate price there on the cross of Calvary. And putting your faith or trust in His work, what He did on the cross of Calvary for you is what is significant, what is so important for you uh, at this this time for for you to know the the salvation of God, the righteousness of God. There's no other pathway to the righteousness of God. There's no other way for you to attain to it. There's no other way for you to match up to what God has given. It says, for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. Okay, so righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those for everyone who believes okay for there is no distinction okay I want to make a point of this distinction what is that speaking of what would you think remember the theme that says to the Jew first and also to the Gentile well Paul's addressing that again here there's no distinction between the Jew or the Gentiles because the Gentiles, though, even though they didn't have the law, they still fell short of the glory of God. Because in their conscience they were were in uh, they were under judgment for those things which they did in regard to the knowledge of their Creator that God put in them innately. And chapters one and two develop that that principle, that truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. For there's no distinction between the Jew who had the law and the revelation of these great and wonderful things about the righteousness of God and the the Gentile who only had the natural law that, that was innately put in them by their Creator. So, all are guilty There's no distinction between those that were given special revelation and those that were given just the revelation of God's nature and His character in uh, in the creation and in they as part of the creation. So there's no distinction between Jews or Gentiles for all humanity sinned in Adam. Okay? All right? So we're going to look now in verse 23. For all have sinned. And therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. I want to make a a kind of a doctrinal, a theological point here about the nature of sin. Notice in verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when it says in in chapter five, I'm kind of jumping ahead here for you, uh, because Paul goes into detail, and we're going to look at it more in detail in chapter five. But in this detail, he says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, who is he speaking of there? Speaking of Adam, isn't he? Adam number one. Well, in Romans chapter five, uh, the Lord, uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, talks about an Adam 2. And Adam 2 is the Lord Jesus. Okay. Now, under Adam 1, there's a thing that we call, in regard to sin, called imputed sin. And this is important because what we're looking at here in Romans chapter 3 is legal talk. This is all legal talk. Right, it's about judgment. It's about justice. I mean, if, if you look at at the setting that Paul has has made, it's in the courtroom. It's in God's courtroom, and God the Father is judge. He judges all things. He knows the the secret thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows the what motivates you to do the things that you do. He knows everything about you, and this just judge will judge justly. And what the scripture teaches us is that that in in the principle of law there's a thing called imputed uh, sin and guilt. And what's being spoken of here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 is the fact that Adam, Adam won, through Adam 1, sin was imputed to your account. Okay, and, and here's the principle here. I don't know if you can see that that illustration well. Uh, on uh, um, the uh, the powerpoint above but imputed sin and guilt comes from Adam 1 to each person all the way from Adam to you because Adam is a federal he's he represents the federal head of mankind and and Adam's sin when he sinned we all sinned because we're of the offspring of of Adam we're we're mankind and I, I like an imputed sin to, to to this maybe to help you understand. When um when President Bush declared war on Iraq, we all became the enemies of Iraq. Okay? B- because President Bush was was the federal head of the United States of America. So uh if we were were to go to Iraq or to go to Afghanistan or someplace uh, where there's enmity, there's em- uh, uh, we have enemies uh, because of our national uh, association, because of who we are as a people. And that's the point with imputed sin. The, the sin of Adam is imputed to each person, it's imputed to you. The scripture says that all have sinned, all humanity sinned, they sinned in Adam uh, scripture says in, in the book of Hebrews that, that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek uh, through, through Abraham. Well, how, What does that mean? Well, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And in Hebrews it says that this secondary priest, the Levitical priesthood, paid tithes to this uh, Melchizedek priest in, in Abraham's day. Well, how did they do that? Well, it was imputed to them. It was imputed to them through Abraham. Levi, one of the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons. Levi, Levi was there. This Le- Levi became the Levitical priest, and these Levitical priests were seen as as having paid a tithe in Abraham. Well, that's weird. That's that seems strange to us, but that's what the scripture indicates and tells us. Imputed sin is a principle or a truth for the scripture says that for all are destitute of the glory of God for all have sinned and fallen short and this idea of destitution uh, being destitute of the glory of God or having fallen short of the glory of God means that uh, if we were to to add up Uh, all of of those things that we were doing good and we were to pile them up uh, to reaching God, it would go nowhere. Uh, It it would come short. It would fall short of His glory. Uh, So the righteousness of God and what it means to be in God's presence uh, could not be reached by the goodness of mankind, by the good things that we do and by the deeds that we do. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and those those sins uh, uh, pull and 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 assure that we would not be in God's presence, that we could not be in His presence. And this is hugely important for us. And I want to make a, a, a very important point in regard to the fact uh, that uh, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, and that that God is not going to transport all of the human muck on planet earth, all of the bad things that we see, all of the reasons that we know that it's important for God to be a just judge in regard to all the the bad and and the the horrible things that happen on this planet. And uh, it's not going to be transported into heaven. It had to be something done with it. You understand? Please, please listen to this truth. God is a just judge, and He lives in heaven, and it's a perfect place, and it's without sin, and He's not going to transport anyone into that without dealing with this problem that's in our hearts. It's a huge, hugely significant and important message. God will not simply push aside your sin, it has to be dealt with and that's that 's difficult, even for us as believers, because under the New covenant we say man i just I constantly fall short of the glory of God you know i am supposed to as a born again christian i 'm supposed to live up to this standard of god 's righteousness and holiness, and I just don 't get there. I have all of these attitudinal sins that are constant, and maybe I have some some blatant uh, 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 sins that are, are are manifested in my life that, that haven't been dealt with, and there's just this, this very significant and real understanding, hey, I can't take that to heaven with God. So what has God done? And what will He do with us? Because even under the new covenant, we as believers, we fall short of the glory of God. We're way short, I don't feel in any sense that my works can can match up at any point in time in my Christian life have i never have I ever been at the place looking back at all of these events and the places where I've been in the the pilgrimage where I've been that, that that I feel hey, I'm at the place to where I can be in God's presence as a holy God. I think it's consume me. He's holy and just, and He's He's all knowing and He knows all of this garbage. Uh, things that, that are have been hidden from you and things that you've seen, because as believers, we get to see each other's fleshly nature, don't we? But all of that, you know, even as we as we walk with God and under the new covenant as born-again believers, we, we realize that. Hey, God, the heaven, the, the heavens where God dwells is a perfect place and I don't belong there and my works can't get me there. I can't get it. I can't match up to that standard. But what Christ has done for us, we are destitute of the glory of God. But Christ has supplied, and now going back to that imputation, through what? God imputed to you through Adam 1. God imputed through Christ to you, through Adam 2, His righteousness. Something that you could not attain. Something that you could never uh, on your own present to God in self-righteousness and say, God, I belong in your presence. I belong in heaven. There's no way. There's no way that any of us could get there. We're all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, there's another uh, passage here. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That sin separates you. It separates you from the righteousness and the holiness and the very presence of God. And it had to be dealt with. So, how is it, and what is it that we do this morning? How is it that that we as as these people that are being addressed by the apostle Paul, and how is it the apostle Paul could boast in uh, the and uh, without shame in the the gospel in the power of God unto salvation? Well, he boasted not in his own righteousness but in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the righteousness that Jesus has given to us and that has been imputed from Christ to you. He has given to you a tremendous gift, uh, an amazing thing in Christ Jesus. And it would would be good for us to understand that on my best day, with my best efforts, I will never in the flesh accomplish holiness. But Christ's Spirit... What God has done through Christ through faith is quickening and enables me to live uh, outside and over the power of sin. Over the power of this reality that is so should be so real to every person. God has done it. God is the God of our salvation. God has done through Christ Jesus what we could not do for ourselves. So we come to... Uh, the righteousness of God is uh, it justifies sinners. Jesus Christ's righteousness is credited to us. Our guilt is credited to Jesus Christ. Now there's three imputations. Three imputations. The imputation of Adam is that, that God took Adam's sin and he imputed it to your account. Just like uh, American citizens are enemies of certain countries that we've declared war on. And and so we're seen as enemies because we're American citizens because we're of the offspring of Adam under his rebellion. Uh, we were at enmity with God through imputation. Now, um, if we can go back to that that uh, slide back further, one more that right there. Okay. Now, if you notice that sin and guilt are imputed, those top arrows from Adam. But it's also inherited sin. They're inherited sin that's passed on uh, from your father to you. From Adam, the father to his son, from his son. We saw that with Cain and Abel, didn't we? We saw that sin. And it's passed on and on and on uh, from one father to the next. It's interesting to me, and, and, and you tell me what you think because this is, this is my perspective on inherited sin, uh, that we can see and, and we often see uh, a father with his son or his daughter and they have uh, there's, there's something that goes on between them uh, because the father sees something in that son or daughter that reflects his sin nature. Okay so there may be you know may have several children, but there may be one of them that that they see certain tendencies in their 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 son that were true of them, and they're seeing a reflection of themselves, inherited sin that was passed on, and tendencies sometimes that get passed from the father to his children from one one to the other, which is is very um. Uh, it, it, it brings us uh, to uh, to realize, hey, we um, uh, we have a responsibility here uh, as as from father to son because because we're passing on. It makes us want to get sanctified to get those things, and God breaks those things that are those tendencies in our lives. But you can see it in groups of people t- as well, right? You see, certain sin patterns that are true in, in nations of people and tribes of people. Inherited sin passed from father to son. Passed from one tribe to the other. Uh, but also imputed sin passed from Adam. Okay, There's three imputations. There's the imputation of Adam, sin to us. There's the imputation of our sin to Christ on the cross of Calvary. And there's also... The imputation of Christ's righteousness to each one of us. they impu- God imputed it to us. He, yeah. Yeah. he gave that righteousness to us. It's not our own. It's Christ Jesus' righteousness that has been imputed to our account. It leaves us completely guiltless. It leaves us completely without penalty under the just and judgment of sin. So... Uh, And moving back, uh, Lori, to where we were, uh, the righteousness of God justifies sinners. He justifies sinners in this way. He's imputed to Christ your sins. He placed them on Jesus Christ. His wrath was placed on Jesus on the cross of Calvary for you. Do you understand? And may God... May God's Holy Spirit help us to understand the gravity of what it means for God to place your sins, personalize this, your sins He placed on His Son on the cross of Calvary to express the greatness of His love for you. For you. For you as an individual. For you as a person. He had you in mind. It was His love for His... His creation for His Creator. His love for you. The value that He placed upon you to do what He did with Jesus Christ at this point is hugely significant. Please, please lay hold of this truth. Because out of it springs, and this is something that's important for us, living the Christian life must spring out of this justification that comes by by grace through faith. There's no living the Christian life unless it comes through the glory of the cross. The righteousness of God justifies sinners. He gave you this righteousness. Romans 3.24 says, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Our sins were given to Christ on the cross of Calvary. Christ's righteousness was given to each one of us. So how am I going to present myself before God if no mouth, if every mouth will be stopped and all will become accountable to God, what will be my defense before God in heaven at the judgment? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. My faith is found a resting place not in device vice nor creed. I trust the ever-living One. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. That's my only argument. That's your only argument. That's the Gospel. It's the power of the Gospel. It is the realization that nothing that I have done or ever will be able to do this side of glory can... Give me that status. Give that righteousness to me to present me and make me presentable to go to heaven. It's only by God's grace through faith in what Jesus did for you. He bore the penalty of that sin that's in your life. He continues to bear the penalty of those sins when we fall short of God's glory. It is only through the righteousness of Christ, not by works of the law, that we enter into God's presence. It's as a free gift that God has given to us, this wonderful truth, this power of His salvation. It's a free gift in everything in the Christian life. Any sanctification that you will experience, any uh, glory over the power of sin in your life will come as a free gift by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing that God has done. Titus 3:5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So what happens to one who puts their trust in Jesus Christ? The scripture says that we're washed by regeneration. We become a new person. That Adam, too becomes your federal head. Jesus Christ, uh, through one man, sin entered into the world, but through one man, Christ Jesus, uh, we, we were, have become justified. We've been washed by regeneration. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We must become regenerate, washed become new, become a new person. So God gives to us a new life, a new spirit. The spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live in in a born-again person, and that born-again person (coughs) is renewed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. That mankind that was, was created in the image of God is filled, this clay pot. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be, of the power of God and not of ourselves. The Spirit of God comes to indwell our our clay pots, our earthen vessels, the, uh, as we, the, the, the tent that we pass through on this side of glory, not by works of righteousness, but by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of His Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> verse 24, He justifies us as a free gift by His grace being justified as a gift by His grace. It is by grace through faith in Jesus, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that we have freedom. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He that commits sin is a slave or a servant to sin. But if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And you may know by the power of the Gospel, by the power of Jesus Christ, freedom from the guilt and penalty of sin and freedom from the power of sin through Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit is there and He can give you victory over sin in your life. But not through works that you have done. Not through the law. But through the Spirit of Christ working in and through us. Scripture says "Now to him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Not according to self, but the power of God that works within us. This is an awesome, wonderful, God-given truth. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And so I pray that we may embrace the truth and know that the Christian life so, so often when, when you share the gospel with Christians, you see the light, you know, the lamp turns off. They like veg out. On, oh, he's going to the gospel. No, that's not th- what God has intended. When we go to the gospel, we need to understand that it's the power of God unto salvation. Not just justification, but sanctification. And we need to hear it. Paul says, I glory in the cross. That's where where all of his power came from. It wasn't in himself. It was in the cross that he was in Christ, that God crucified him, that he was raised up to walk in newness of life by the power of God. And this new life, this new spirit that was given into him through redemption, through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit is the power at work within him. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's salvation is a gift to you. There's nothing you could do to earn it. There's no way that you can can provide a standard in your life that 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 would would give this gift to you. It can't be purchased. But our redemption was purchased. And that brings us to the next point, point three, through Christ's ransom payment. He paid the price on the cross of Calvary when He willingly went there. The Scripture says that no man, Jesus said, no man takes my life, I willingly give it. He went to the cross, He didn't have to go there. He had the power to stop the injustice of it. But for for God's purposes, for the purposes of redemption, because He loved you and personalized this, it was that He loved you that He paid this ransom price, ransom payment. The price was Christ's death on the cross. That was the only thing that could justify you before a righteous and holy and just God and not now or not in the future will your works ever get you there. Only what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. So it's by grace alone, through faith alone. So you say, well, if I'm going to get to heaven, how, what percentage of the work that Christ did for me is going to get me there and what percentage must I do? What percentage of things must I do to get to heaven? Well, that's wrong. The scripture teaches us that it's Christ alone. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You were purchased in Christ's ransom on the cross of Calvary. Hebrews 9.15 has this to say. For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. See, it's through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It's through the purchase price that He paid on the cross of Calvary. It's through a death that has taken place for your redemption, for you personally. The offer is there free and beautiful to anyone that would receive this wonderful gift that God has given through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood. For the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. For the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace through the redemption of His shed blood. The penalty of your sin was death, was separation from God. Jesus Christ paid that penalty for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of the grace. Do you, do you know the value of what He did for you? Amen. Do you understand what it means in regard to eternity, in regard to the significance and value of who you are, in regard to the very purpose that you were created? It is the absolute most important factor The righteousness of God publicly displays Christ's sacrifices. And this is a third point that we find in 25. The righteousness of God displays, uh, whom God displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. This picture shows the wrath of God has been satisfied on Jesus Christ. The just penalty for sin, for those sins that you're thinking about, I can't carry this into heaven. What am I going to do? The Scripture tells us that He has propitiated. Notice this verse, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. This is a beautiful word, propitiation. It means it, it's more than just it speaks of the sacrifice of atonement. <clears throat> that <clears throat> the sacrifice of, of Christ's atonement alone is able to pay for that, that penalty of that sin and it propitiates, it covers over, it 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 satisfies. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. That wrath of God was propitiated in Jesus Christ. It was satisfied. The just wrath of God for the penalty of our sin was satisfied with the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. Because God told Adam, if you sin, you must die. And death has been the... The sad situation for mankind since Adam. And it's been passed on and, and passed down. Jesus Christ bore the penalty for that death so that we might have life eternal in Christ Jesus. First John 2, 1 and 2 says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself... Is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Isn't that awesome? So, what do we do when we come to? So we start coming to church and say, "Man, I don't belong in church today." Whew. I mean, I am rotten to the core. That's good that you understand that. That's significant. That's needful for you to understand. Because even if if you didn't have that, maybe this one horrible sin that makes you feel that way you are so far short of the holiness of Jesus Christ. that You don't belong here anyway if that's the, the, the standard that you're, you're trying to meet in yourself. But if you're understanding that God sent Christ and he's the, Himself is the propitiation for our sins and He's covered that sin and He's, he's, he's paid the, the price of God's wrath for that sin on the cross of Calvary, then you have the right perspective for coming to church and gathering with people and being holy before god in the righteousness of jesus christ that has been imputed to me i stand before you guiltless this morning even though i'm a filthy sinner and have fallen way short of the glory of god in many occasions in many ways i don't belong not in myself but in christ jesus i'm accepted in the beloved that's that's the glory of the gospel It's why we should be preaching it and speaking it from the mountaintops at every opportunity. It's why we should support missions. It's why we should be about the proclamation of the gospel. It's why we should love the lost and understand their lost condition and know what is necessary and needful for them is the gift of God of salvation. Okay, It's received by faith whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. Now, these two prepositional phrases in his blood and through faith uh, uh, some put through faith in his blood. but I believe that, that the preposition in his blood connects to propitiation. It's, it's, it's representing the sacrifice, the sacrifices of the Old Testament that was, was mentioned there at the Passover. that blood was on the door and it was a picture of that was to, that was to come, the propitiation in the blood. In the shed blood through faith, trusting that the wages of my sin is death and the blood shed, the sacrifice, takes my place. That's substitutionary atonement. And it was a picture in the Old Testament. And notice that it says there's, there's two, this was to demonstrate here. The first one in, chap, uh, in verse 5 says this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over sins previously committed. This is speaking about the Passover in the Old Testament. Paul is saying under the law and under what was given to Moses The the Passover blood was on the the doorpost, but God was passing over. He was in His patience forbearing and passing over the sins that were committed, but they weren't paid for yet. There was a, a period of time waiting for Jesus Christ to come and on the cross of Calvary to pay the full penalty of that sin. In God's forbearance, He didn't judge the world in the Old Testament all the way up to the New Covenant. He didn't judge the world like He did with with Noah and in the flood when He destroyed all of the world because of the sinfulness of man. And that was there for a demonstration for us to know how bad our sin is and how universal it is and what the judgment of God means. And so, the 2 Peter chapter 3 says that, that there was the judgment of the flood and there was a future judgment by fire. But the, the righteousness of God demonstrates His forbearance, His patience. He's waiting. That clock is ticking. But He, he had that forbearance in the Old Testament. And, and these, these sinners... They offered up the sacrifices of these goats and bulls, but that didn't do anything. It was just representation of what God was going to do to bear and to justly take care of the wrath for our sin. So 3.25 again says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, that was to demonstrate His righteousness because of the forbearance or patience of God, He passed over the sins of the Old Testament. And then in verse 26, for the demonstration I say that, uh, I say of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's patience waited for the cross of Calvary. The Scripture says in the fullness of time Christ uh, came. The, the, the Messiah, the Lamb of God came. And God passed over judgment in the Old Testament. He passed over it. Animal sacrifices told and foretold the coming of the Messiah, foretold of the coming of the work of Jesus, foretold of the substitutionary atonement that would take place through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Animal sacrifices told of the coming of the Messiah. John 1.29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know the glory of it? Do you know that He's taken away your sin? Do you know that as a propitiation, He continually takes away our sin? And that, that one day, I need no other argument, I need no other plea, it is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. The righteousness of God demonstrates that God's just judgment in chapter in verse twenty six. For the demonstration, I say of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be ju- uh, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The justification that takes place in His present time is is due to not the lambs and the bulls that were shed in the Old Testament under the Levitical priesthood, but under the priesthood of, no, of one after the. Uh, after the nature of Melchizedek, the one, the Lamb of God who bore our sin on the cross of Calvary. So it was in this present time now that God has done this work. Romans 3.26, For the demonstration I say of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, the cross demonstrates God's justice. Jesus suffered God's wrath in your place in Romans 3.26 so that He would be just. So that He would be just. And the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. First of all, so that God as judge is just. He's just to justify you because the full penalty has been paid for your sin on Jesus Christ. So it's done away with. It, the penalty is paid. The justice is by grace through faith alone and, 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 uh, and uh, through salvation alone in Christ Jesus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No other way, no other sacrifice, no other lamb, no goat, no sheep. Nothing could take the place that Jesus took on the cross of Calvary for you. Romans 3.26 says that He's not only just, God is just in justifying you, but He's the justifier, the one who has faith. So what does that mean? It means that gloriously we can come here and worship God without guilt. Without guilt, not because of our works, not because we've cleaned up our lives, not because we've, we've done certain things to equal up to all the bad things that we've done, but because Jesus loved us and took our place on the cross of Calvary and paid the full penalty for those sins. That's how we live. You can't live the Christian life without that understanding. It's the very basis and ground for living the Christian life. It's the very basis and ground for experiencing in this journey that we have in sanctification the power of God of salvation and knowing the fullness of what God has done for us. So we find these truths. I want to leave something with you to consider why does Paul make justification the basis for our sanctification and living the Christian life? Think about it. Why is it that the gospel is the basis for sanctification? I want to make the point here. It's okay, Lori, with the PowerPoint. That If you look at verse 26 there, for the righteousness, the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Notice there's a contrast with the one, contrast with all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. There's the one, there's the all. Um, And then uh, Galatians 6.14 says, uh, but may it... Never be, or God forbid, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's this knowledge of what Christ has done, not that causes us to love Him more so that we don't sin, but it's the knowledge that that the world has become dead to us, crucified to us, in light of, of what it means to, to love and glory in Christ. And that's where sanctification takes place. But I want you to think about why does Paul make justification the basis for how we live here today in the Christian life? That's what sanctification means. How do we live holy as God is holy? And, and this principle, this truth, is what's necessary and needful for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And for these truths, this wonderful passage in Scripture. I pray, Lord God, that the power of Your Gospel has been made known to Your people this day and that it's assimilated into our hearts and lives so that we may walk in power, that we may know those great and mighty things which You are able to do and that which You are able to do exceeding and abundantly according to the power that works within us as Your people. I pray that we may know the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ as Paul prayed that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own through the the law but that which comes through faith in Christ that which comes from God from you our Heavenly Father on the basis of faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed unto His death in order that I may obtain under the power of His resurrection the glory of that eternal life given to us in Christ Jesus. May it be true of Your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.